As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to another episode of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend, Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Just finished up midterms, finally diving back into basketball, enjoying it casually. I just watching some Mountain West uh, rock fights last night with some friends, which is interesting. Gave a little palate cleanser this morning, watched some Matherin, some Keegan Murray, and now we are here to do a little mock draft pod, which I'm very excited about. That makes two of us, man. Um, so you and I went and we uh, we did a tankathon sim um, just to to give us a draft order, and we went from there. Uh, alternated picks. You had the first overall pick. Who'd you take? So the Spurs made a nice little leap in our mock draft, and I I would love someone tweet this like I would love for the Spurs to get the first pick in real life. I think that would be super fun based mm. on who I hope they would draft, which is who I took. I took Chet Holmgren. Obviously, they have a all-star guard in DeJounte Murray, a plethora of wings, Zem Vassell, Kelton Johnson, uh, just plugging Chet into that team and allowing him to kind of just piggyback off of the defense. Like, imagine being a guard and you're being hounded by DeJounte Murray. You finally get past DeJounte and you are awaited by Chet at the rim. Um, that was just something that obviously I'm debating between Chet and Paolo one and two, and I've kind of just preferred the fit here. And I think there's a very strong chance Chet ends up being my number one player anyways. Uh, so that's kind of what gave me the edge. Basically, the way we're going to do this is like, I'll give our picks and then we're going to just talk through the fit. So what do you think about the fit on both sides of the ball with Chet? So I, I think it's interesting. Um, I like it. I mean, A, I think you and I are in lockstep for mo- pretty much every team. I would take Chet number one. Like, I think it's pretty, pretty easy there. 
Um, as for his fit with the Spurs, I like it because there's already an established big there with, with Jakob Hurdle. Um, I like the idea of, because we've talked about this before, like Chet to, I mean, to both of us is not like ideally not necessarily a five right away, or at least not boxed into that. Um, and I like the idea of him being able to play alongside um, somebody who can maybe allow him to play off the ball more defensively, which I find very exciting. Um, offensively, I don't, I think a lot's just going to depend on what the Spurs look like next year. Um, because with how this year has gone, they've molded a little bit more towards offense and their defense has actually fallen off after a really good start. Um, they have a lot of drive and kick game. The playmaking isn't exactly awesome in San Antonio. A lot's going to depend on, on Josh Primo's development. Um, Devin Vassell obviously has had some really awesome flashes that works really well in two man game with, with Pertle. Like there's a lot of guys there. They're trending more towards playing like a smaller brand of basketball, having like four, four guard wings on the floor. Um, I like the idea of adding Chet there and what he can do is, is a, just it, flowing within that offense, especially considering that they don't really have a, um, like a true primary. I think adding guys like him who can help, uh, you know, without, with the lack of necessarily a true primary, which is, so I think the, where I go here is like, this is a team where I would have definitely struggled with the first pick because I do think you can go with Powell here and it would make a lot of sense. Um, but I can't fault you with going for Chet. Yeah. And I, I think I completely forgot to mention this in my initial spiel, but I love what you brought up with Pirtle. And this is something we talked about with Chip when he came on our pod. This is something I wrote about with Chet. I love the idea of him as a four and playing him alongside another true big. I just think the bigger you can get on the defensive side of the ball, the better. And you get those two guys protecting the rim. I tweeted this the other day. It allows you to be more aggressive in pick and roll coverage, having Chet on the backside um, was something you wrote about with, in, with regards to screening and teams getting more aggressive, trying to take away pull-ups and mucking up the in-between area. Um, and, if you can still maintain offensive production, which I think you can as Chet is a four, as shown by the flashes of him shooting and picking and popping and even creating some stuff off of DHOs and on occasion closeout attacks. I think if you can get by, and as you said, the Spurs are kind of making way on offense. If you can keep your head above water in the offensive end and then just go all in on this monstrosity of a defense with those two guys. I mean, I think that's super intriguing. Yeah. And one last thing I want to hit on too, um, I don't know how much longer Pop is going to coach. It, it seems like he might be around next year still. They love running stuff through their bigs um, or just, you know, their fours and fives. They love running them from, from high posts, from the elbows, um, a lot of DHOs. So I do think that's another interesting thing because we would see a lot of what we've wanted to see more of this year from Chet that hasn't been part of Gonzaga's offense. So I find that part really intriguing as well. Um, Absolutely. Jake, who did I pick at number two? So you are on the clock with the Pelicans. Pelicans also made a leap in our Tankathon Sim. This was an interesting spot. I did not, let's just say I did not envy you <laughs> yeah. making this pick. Yeah, um, we flipped We flipped for it and I uh, I lost and I ended up taking Jaden Ivey at two, um, which was not something that I initially expected or uh, was planning on doing. Um, but I think this is one of the interesting cases where it becomes uh, like I, firstly, I just hate the, fit versus uh versus bpa argument because i just like again like okay well as awesome as paolo or chet might be like what if they i mean what if there's not like a super clear-cut way to make them work on my team or like we already have somebody established there that makes more sense right now like i, I don't know like obviously there's there's a lot more nuance and detail to it that we're not going to get into right now but this was the thing for me where i was like even adding cj mccollum i think this team really lacks guard play 
Um, and I'm not just thinking like in terms of somebody who's actually penetrating getting to the rim, like it's been Jose Alvarado and, and Herb Jones have been like their best getting to the rim. Like Brandon Ingram's really been like probably their best playmaker this year, but even then he's not getting all the way to the rim as often as more dicing up with pacing and stuff from the mid range, adding somebody like Ivy to an offense. that's not a, saying it's similar to Purdue would be wrong, but like a lot of concepts where they can get him moving off the ball, like coming off pin downs into actions, um, just doing things to use his his gravity and um, gravity as as an athlete to to make things work in the offense. Um, I'm really interested by adding him to New Orleans. Yeah, and I, you know I think the best player available versus fit thing it's so tough to navigate because we have the Cleveland Cavaliers who oh they took Darius Garland despite drafting Colin Sexton and they drafted Evan Mobley despite having Jared Allen and it all works out. Um, yes, in theory that is true, but. Evan Mobley could always play alongside another big. So that, yes, your fit wasn't necessarily compromised as much as it technically was on paper. Colin Sexton is better as an off guard. So your fit, again, isn't necessarily as compromised as it would initially appear. This situation is obviously different than usual because we don't know what's going on with Zion Williamson. And that kind of definitely changes things. Also, the Pelicans are in a really interesting spot because if you are able to add someone like Ivy who not only fills a need, but can also contribute and play CJ McCollum, Brendan Ingram, if they can retain Zion, like that all of a sudden is not necessarily a team that is typically picking in the top two in terms of talent. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, so I find it incredibly enticing. I'm just going to add him there. Um, do you have anything else you want to hit on here? No, I mean, I, so I would just, what do you think, so how do you, would you think Ivy fits alongside CJ? Um, Cause I think people would be, Oh, two combos, this, that, and the other. I kind of think if you just want to run offense by committee, when you have all these guys who are just that good, that could work. Um, but I'm just curious about that specific backcourt and what you think about that. Yeah. I guess the only thing that makes it wonky is okay. Well, I mean, I don't think you're going to hinge too much on it. Cause I, I mean, he wasn't even a lottery pick, but like what, yeah. What does this mean for Kira Lewis Jr.? I mean, he's been out for the out for season with injury now. Um, but I think also like you're just in a place like this is where to me, okay, this is where you are talking about BPA. Like, um, I don't care that Kira Lewis Jr. is on my team when I can go get Jaden Ivey. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, obviously I still think this team should be committed to developing him and making him what he can be. But like Jaden Ivey has a higher ceiling than, than Kira Lewis by a long shot. And that's not to be unfair. That's just being truthful. Um, so to me, like, is it ideal having two combos? No, but um, if you're going out and thinking about like, okay, like, I mean, De- Devontae Graham was like their big signing this, this offseason. He's ended up being much more suited to be a six man for them. Um, I think it's just worth taking a shot and seeing what it looks like because of what we think Jay and Ivy can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I was on the clock with the Tyrese Halliburton Pacers next. And uh, for me, this was kind of a simple pick. Uh, best player available. They're in the middle of a rebuild. Paulo Boncaro is number two slash one on my board. Uh, we'll split those hairs in a couple months. But this one was an easy pick for me. Uh, they, As you said, they don't really have a primary. Uh, they're kind of just strips the bonus out. I don't. We don't know what Turner's future is there. Uh, his tweets at the deadline were something to yeah. raise an eyebrow. Um, but they have Tyrese Halliburton, who is really freaking good and a building – block i would you say they're building around halliburton or he's a building or a strong i will catch black i don't think that they should build around halliburton i think that he is a building block like and not that i'm 
I don't even want to say I'm lower on him than other people. Like, I think he's going to be an all-star, potentially an all-NBA guy. But I also just – I think he has very real limitations to become a true primary option. Like, I think he can he can do primary things. He's shown a lot of that ability in Indiana. But even then, we're seeing, okay, he's not aggressive enough. Like, I need him to take shots. Like, he is way too fucking good to not take some of the shots that he passes up. Um obviously an incredible passer. Like I was telling, I, I talked about this on like a bunch of NBA pods, but like, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton is the best, like the very best playmaker that the Indiana Pacers have had ever. Like I, I, that's not, that's not stretching. Like Mark Jackson was a good player and like a fine enough uh, point guard, but like Tyrese is different, man. Like there's never been anybody who's manipulating taggers or anything like that in Indiana. So I do think he's a building block, but I think if you're, looking at it as a, uh, well, we're building around him, then it's obviously a different player than this bonus, but I think you're locking yourself again into more of a, uh, we're going to be a first round and out team or something like that. Like, I think you need to um, fully commit to a rebuild. Adding somebody like Powell, I think, is extremely enticing with that. Yeah, so I generally side with you, um, but as Mark and the listeners will hear, uh, I will be referring to Mark on this podcast in terms of fit. He is the resident NBA expert here. I watch League Pass um, and try to keep up with stuff, but he watches exponentially more NBA basketball than me. But based on, yeah, when I've, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the Pacers post deadline because Halburn's fun as hell. Their defense um, is awful. It's so yeah. gross. <laughs> <laughs> but Terry Taylor. Um, yeah. and, but I'm very intrigued for Paolo and Halliburton on this. Uh, Paolo is someone that I think has creation upside long term, but needs to be brought along pretty slowly. I don't necessarily want him to get thrown into the fire. And the idea of pairing him with someone who is already a very capable NBA creator to run two-man games with, maybe create some advantages for him, uh, DHOs, pick and pops, pick and roll, whatever it takes. Um, I'm very intrigued for this, for Paolo. Um, Other landing spots, potentially the Magic, the Rockets, uh, it's just a little bit more wonky. And you're you're now pairing his development with someone like Jalen Green's development, who is also figuring out stuff on the ball. Uh, now you get a lot of variables at once. With Halliburton, you know what you're getting, a seasoned p- guard with pace who's really smart, can get Paolo in advantageous spots. I think it's a really good landing spot. I don't know how like realistic it is uh, lottery-wise, but it's I was really happy with this off, one. It's not far man. They're fifth in the in, 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 in true. actual yeah. opportunities right now. So, um, yeah, I think – just one last thing I want to hit on with it. It's just, I would love to know what the fuck the Pacers want to do because they've yeah. conveyed that they want to be a, a contender, but then they also come out and said that, you know, they want to make the playoffs next year. So it definitely <laughs> raises some eyebrows. I'm like, okay, well then what do you really want? Um, not that you can't win and then build at the same time. I think there's like a lot of misconceptions with that, but also, you know, just taking stock of where this team is at. I, I think that even if things really go right, they're a playing team next year, maybe a little bit better, but um I agree with you. As far as Paolo, like, I think we were we were having this conversation yesterday about who the best screening prospects are in the draft. And I would not consider Paolo the best screening prospect in terms of just, like, what he's doing right now. Um, but in terms of what I think he could be, you know, in, in terms of adding his his vision, his feel, his handle, um, in, and what he can do as a shooter, potentially, as, as, he, as he blows up in that way, like, Pairing him with somebody like Tyrese would be awesome. Like, I'm very excited about that. And like you mentioned, like, I think there are ways where doing stuff as a secondary could help lend him to doing more things as a primary and and face-up opportunities as he grows his game. So, um, yeah, I'm very in on that fit. Awesome. Um, Going to number four, Houston Rockets on the clock. 
Uh, yeah. So with the fourth <laughs> overall pick, I took I took Jabari Smith Jr. Um, I did right. I can't. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. I couldn't. I couldn't remember for a second. Uh, yeah. I thought this one was really tough for me because I I don't think it's a supernatural fit to be completely honest to add him here. Um, but also like he is a fantastic fantastic player. So like I have no qualms with this. The only area where I get a little bit murky, and this is not to be unfair to Jabari, but this is just looking honestly at the Rockets, their playmaking in the half court, like scares me a little bit. Um, I, I mean, to be fair, Kevin Porter Jr. has really grown as an on-ball playmaker this year, but even then um, he's still not somebody who is, uh, like he still has some pretty zonal vision. He's not necessarily doing, like he can do some some more primary and point guard things, but that's not really who he is to a degree. Jalen Green's making better reads as a, as a pick and roll playmaker, but still you're getting down to, okay, well, I don't know what the hell's gonna happen with Christian Wood here moving forward. I have, I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested by Alperin Shangun. Um, he's a, he's had a pretty solid rookie year, but I do have questions about him as a starter for sure. Um, adding somebody like Jabari, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, just adding another really high level prospect, but in terms of making everything fit together, I definitely am, am unsure of what to think of that. Uh, but I, I do love what he can add defensively and just, you know, showing, uh, showing more, as I mean, being one of the best shooter in the draft. So, yeah. Yeah. This one, I mean, the, look, the fit isn't perfect, uh, but as we noted earlier, you weigh the BPA versus fit argument differently based on where your team is and how much you've invested in winning as of late Houston Rockets are in a complete rebuild and are trying to find out who their guys are to move forward with. And that's kind of completely open. Uh, from what I've gathered, at least, like you have Jalen Green, as you mentioned, you have Sangoon, Josh Christopher's done a lot of good things, uh, which has been awesome to see. Gruba has been, has he been hurt? I feel like I haven't yeah, he's seen been hurt him most much. of the year, and even then, he don't, he was playing mostly G League minutes. Got it. So, I mean, again, so they had four, four first round picks last year, but still trying to weed out who they're going to pour out all their investments to. And Jabari at this point, even as someone who's a bit lower than mainstream, it seems by far the best player on the, on the board. Um, so for me, this was, yeah, the fit isn't totally wonky and we dropped a couple spots in the lottery, but you just got to go grab the high level prospect and figure out the rest later. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I, I, I do want to hit on Houston like a little bit too. I've, I don't want to say I've gotten higher on them as the season's gone on. I've been really impressed with how some of their guys have developed. I still just have questions overall of like, what does this look like with everybody? And I, I understand to a degree the point of like, okay, well, you just, you got to draft guys and see who, who pops and whatnot. But I think there's just more gray area to it. Like I really struggle with their lack of veteran presence. Like, yes, they have Eric Gordon. They had DJ Augustine for part of the year. Um, Daniel Tyson workout. Um, I really just wish that they had more veterans to boy what they're doing in development. Um, because I do think like as much as Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. have both grown as individuals, I do wonder what it would have looked like earlier in the season if they have somebody who is, you know, maybe a little bit easier, a little bit more capable of organizing things in the half court for them, or even just better screening. Like that's been such an issue for them. It's been better playing Shangun more, but like Christian Wood's a terrible screener. Like part of it, I mean, he tries to slip everything. So like, I mean, that's a very common thing for for some bigs, but like, um, especially when you're looking at guys like Jalen Green, like I wanted him paired with an, a dope screener because I think that helps him immensely with his game. And I think we've seen that like him playing with KJ Martin, who is one of the best screeners in the NBA at six foot six. 
I love watching him play. Same thing, like, Schengen's a very good screener, so it helps. But, like, it's something that it's definitely weighed on my mind. I'm really interested to see, especially because it seems like they're going to have a different coaching staff next year. But um, definitely questions there. Okay, so going back to me, um, I had the magic. I thought about this one a lot. This was probably the pick I went back and forth with the most at Mm -hmm. five uh, because I have two prospects on my board that are kind of fighting for that fifth and sixth spot. My top four guys are off the board. The magic, when I'm trolling league pass, I find to enjoy them more than I probably should. They're very Uh, Maybe that's just because it's – they're fun, man. And maybe it's just because it's Franz and Cole Anthony's starting to put things together. Suggs is starting to find his footing. Wendell Carter – um, they just have a lot of fun guys, Chuma, Jonathan Isaac, and, and just like a lot of fours and bigs. And then you have a lot of combos. Markel just came back. Suggs is there. Cole's there. And just as much as I love Johnny Davis, AJG was just such a seamless fit here. Someone that can go off the ball. You're not going to have to worry about his on-ball development in terms of feeding his reps. In fact, I kind of want him to go off the ball, learn how to shoot off, like just be shooting off movement, learn how to attack closeouts slowly build up this on-ball stuff, be steady as a wing defender. He's not going to be overtasked, trying to check fours or trying to stay with quick guards. Kind of just fits right in as like, I, I don't try not to focus on positions too much, but as like the quote-unquote three uh, with regards, or maybe if they want to get a little smaller, you can play some two and Franz can slide down. But to me, just they have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of guys that they're going to want to feed ball hitting reps to. Uh, Simming from the combos all the way up to Franz. And so someone who's just going to be a knockdown shooter can space the floor and hopefully bring the rest of it along and is going to be a sound defender, I think, off the ball. Uh, Some growing pains there, but I don't project anything as a real issue. Uh, This was, I kind of am leading with fit here. Yeah, and I I like it. Like, I'm told I I would have AJG above Johnny for the most part, uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, But I really like this because this is. Like it, it sounds dumb to just base it off lineup versatility, but I think that's an important part for Orlando because they have, um, like Chuma really has developed into more of a four, like pretty strictly. Like I think he can he can do some things that make him a three. He's just like I actually am writing about him for tomorrow. He is one of the weirdest basketball players ever, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like incredibly, incredibly good. Uh, like one, some of the best hands I've ever seen on a defensive player. But, like, he cannot keep anybody in front of him, I think partially due to injury. Um, like, he's really good on if he, like, aggressively switches out on somebody, he can hound somebody but and use his length. But, like, as soon as he has to change directions, like, oh, <laughs> that's it. Um, <laughs> but And then offensively, he's so funky too. But um, point being, like, adding in an actual three of this team would be fantastic. And I think it's really helpful for AJG because – Orlando's in a much better developmental situation than I think it's going to get credit for. And I really like the idea of adding him. Like they, um, part of what's hurt Orlando is they have one of the worst benches in the last couple of years. Like their bench is really just rough. Um, so I love the idea of adding him, whether he's coming off the bench or whether he's starting, like I like what he can do just working with some, especially working with Wendell, like Wendell has been probably their best player this year. Um, he's been awesome. Um, I think some people would say Franz. I'd probably go with Wendell. He's been that good. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, even then, like, you're adding another guy who does secondary creation with some awesome shot making, like, probably the best shot maker on the team. Um, along, I, Like, they, they just have a lot of guys who can make plays. And I think yeah. that's a good I, – I like that person. Like, when you don't have the opportunity to actually draft somebody who is going to be your primary playmaker, I think it's good to just, okay – get good basketball players and, and see what happens. And I think this is another opportunity for that. 
Oh, absolutely. And that, I think that's why I have so much fun watching them is partially they, most of the guys playing on the team are all guys we've been able to scout in recent years, but it's fun because some nights Suggs has it going on the ball. Some nights Cole has it going. Other nights Franz has it going. And it's kind of, they have a lot of guys and a lot of mouths to feed, as you said, which is good. But then also, do you really want to put another guy who, and I think Johnny's going to slide much more off the ball than he currently is at Wisconsin when he gets to the league. But we're talking about the ultimate off-ball superstar in AJ Griffin, who is currently like playing off Paulo, playing off Wendell Moore, playing off of um, Keels. And it's just other than yesterday, a rough game. But other than that, finding ways to make an impact, finding pockets in the defense, it's an absolute flamethrower. I just think it's a really seamless place for him to develop his on-ball game and also stabilize the guys Orlando currently has. No, I totally agree. Um, uh, going back, do you have anything else to get in the, or else on Orlando or we can hit them? I think I'm good in Orlando. The last thing I would add, though um, – they are like they're. I don't want to say that they're in a position where they have to start making decisions on guys, but it is getting to the point where like, yeah, it's helped that they have like they their synergy is pretty good. They're able to make a lot of guys work together, but like, they're going to kind of have to figure out. Okay, well, what do we do with Mobamba this off season? He's had a really weird year. Um, like he started off shooting the shit out of the ball, and it's kind of gone down, and that really has shut down his offensive game. His defense has been wonky. Um, I still think he's a fine player, but in terms of what I was hoping for this year, hasn't really worked out. And then it's even wonkier, like, okay, if Orlando ends up with, like, the second overall pick or something, and Chet is there at the second pick, like, let's say Powell goes one and Chet's there at two, okay, then that definitely makes you have to answer questions. Like, um, I will say, like, Wendell has actually, like, opened my eyes. I think he is capable of, like, being a full-time four. Obviously, you want to play the five some, but, like, he's just been that good this year. Um, But, yeah, exactly. Like, there's – I think this pick is definitely going to help uh, make some decisions for Orlando's front office. They're interesting. And this last thing I say, it's a super quick point um, because they are towards the bottom of the draft and this draft is loaded with fours and combos, which are the two positions they're kind of already stocked up on. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do uh, come June, but moving on to the next pick, the Detroit Pistons, uh, who did you select as a potential co-star for Kate Cunningham? Yeah. Um, with the sixth overall pick, I took Johnny Davis out of Wisconsin. I debated. Um, I ended up being higher than I was willing to go. I debated Jalen Dern here, um, but I ended up going with Johnny Davis um, as somebody who can pair alongside Kate Cunningham. I love the idea of it. I think that it. So the only thing that kind of sucks about it, like you add another guy who very solid, um, much more of a strength-based player, and not the most athletic, um, at least, you know, just like relatively, of course, when you're talking about the top of the draft. And that's kind of the thing with a lot of Detroit. So it's like kind of like, and again, I, I do think that got oversold with Cade to a very high degree, but like, that's a very real thing for Sadiq. Um, it's a very real thing for Isaiah Stewart. Um, you're not worrying about it as much at the top, but like, I like the idea of just adding somebody who is a, not a negative playmaker, somebody who's going to be able to come in and be a secondary, not be asked to be a primary um because like I don't I mean I'm not really sure that he's going to get drafted in a range where he's going to be asked to do that but um like I love the idea of him just being able to automatically work in and and become part of a two-man game with Cade because like that the context in Detroit has been rough um they've looked a lot better since the all-star break part of that's just been better execution but they really need they they need just I I want to just say guard play but they just need positive playmaking and um, offensive ability out of anyone who, who's coming up right now. Yeah. I mean, I think other, 
in, in the realistic outcomes for Johnny, uh, this is probably my favorite fit for him. Maybe just looking, maybe Orlando, I mean, Atlanta, but they would have to lose a couple games and he would have to fall. Um, it's so perfect for him. Getting to play off someone like Cade, obviously you said not a ton of easy advantages created there, um, but it's a lot of strength-based stuff. Getting Johnny to scale down and play off of the ball. He doesn't need a completely tilted defense. Like he's very good at reading closeouts and attacking them. He just hasn't had the opportunity because people in Wisconsin don't generate them for him. Um, and so getting to play off of Cade, and then as you said, providing Cade with someone who can create a little bit, play make a little bit, shoot a little bit, and just be a stabilizer in the backcourt in terms of a release valve for creation. So he doesn't have to do everything. Um, I think Detroit is still a ways away in their rebuild. And Johnny, while I don't think he has star star upside, I think could be a really solid piece, especially when you pair him with a jumbo creator like Cade. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, like Johnny is someone who I think is going to be a plus starter in the league for a long time. I agree. Um, and I yeah, think I maybe agree. makes an all-star game or two if things really hit right, especially with the shot. But um, I'm right there with you. Uh, moving on to number seven. Who did you take for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Jake? It's my favorite pick. I, this is my favorite pick I made. Yeah, it was my 10, least favorite we'll because I wanted to take him <laughs> with the eighth pick. But, yeah. Uh, Tari Eason for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I freaking love this so much. And OKC has done a lot of things I liked. I absolutely love their draft last year with Trey Mann and Giddy. Shea Gilch-Alexander is one of my favorite guys to watch in the league. And they just – need defense you need a lot of defense behind if you're going to lean into a train like i don't know if you can play them all together i'd be curious on your thoughts like do you think there's a future with giddy man and sga all together well one thing that helps is that their defense has actually been pretty good this year um yeah they're third and I, I haven't checked the numbers since i wrote the piece two weeks ago but they're third in defense in 2022 um has been really damn good um that's why he's the nba guy <laughs> yeah but um, I do like the idea of adding Tari because a lot of what their defense does, I think it's stuff that's going to get exposed in a playoff series. Like they do a lot of staying solid and letting open threes happen, um, which works like they're very good at that. But I think Tari kind of fits their mold of let's get funky guys who have size and ball skills. And I, I like that. And I think part of what's exciting for this with me, like one of the things I've, I won't say I've pushed back on, but this year I like Tari a lot. I want to do a deeper dive on him, but I haven't been as like, saying interested wrong. like I think he's a guy with real like starter potential and, and actually going to be a plus NBA starter in the league um but I'm probably not as high on the self-creation stuff that we've seen this year um I do think though if you put him in a place like Oklahoma City I think you'll get maybe a little bit more leeway to to try and work in some of that stuff which makes me excited about that because the defense is very legit like he adds like yeah that I mean, that team, like, Lou Dort is a good defender. I don't think he's as good of a defender as he gets made out to be sometimes. But, like, adding somebody like Tari gives them a lot more versatility in what they can do defensively would be the best defender on the team within a year or two probably as he, you know, hones in his technique and gets better at some of the details. But, I mean, yeah, I, I do love I do love the pick. It's And it's on both sides of the ball. Like, obviously, yes, you want to share up the – Trey Mann, Giddy, SGA stuff, but off offensively also. Like, I think it's a really valuable point you made up about the self-creation stuff. At LSU, it's a lot of standstill, ISO, straight line drive stuff. Recently, he's been shooting the ball really well, and I think he's going to shoot it at, like, a respectable level where he's going to be able to garner closeouts. And then we're talking about playing off guys like SGA, who collapses the paint as well as anyone in the entire league. Josh Giddy, who is going to manipulate the hell out of backline defenses. Trey Mann, who the playmaking is obviously 
going to be a slow development, but create space and has pull up gravity and is going to garner the attention of the defense. He's going to have advantages to play out of, and it's not going to be the standstill ISO stuff that we has, that he's been forced to in LSU. Now it's going to require some stuff on his end of playing within the flow of an offense, not being a ball stopper, being decisive, attacking closeouts and taking advantage of the long rotations that are going to be gifted to him. So I'm not, this is not an entirely LSU thing. Like Tari does his fair share of ball stopping, but I just think it's such an advantageous place for him to learn how to refine the closeout attacking, play alongside guys who are going to give him opportunities to do that. And then obviously in the defensive end, uh, you kind of noted at this special instincts. I trust him to guard threes and fours at a very high level, a uh, good off ball, gr- great off ball defender. Uh, one of the best defenders in the class, probably the best non-chet defender in the class. Sohan maybe has a case right now, um, but yeah, awesome fit. I, and I just love kind of pairing him with those like not weird guys, but it's fun. It's as you said, it's funky. Well, yeah, well, I'm very what makes it. it so funky is like this is a team where if I were in your position, I probably would have leaned into Tari. But I, again, I would have part of this is me being higher on him. I would have considered Dern here too, just because yeah. like I know I, I gave him a look. I gave him a look. five. Like there is not, and that's one of my, which is part of what makes it so wild how good their defense has been. Um, part of it's like I mean because they have so much mobility and they're they're good communication wise, but. I am really interested to see what that could do for their offense if they could like actually add a five. But like, yeah, I agree with you. Tari is Tari's awesome here. I'm very, I'm I just I still don't know what to make of that team. Um, they're a very fun team to watch, but they're just kind of like they're odd for me um, because like things have been a little bit weird uh, since I mean once once Shea went down with injury about a month and a half ago, Giddy took over on ball a lot more, and they've been leaning into that more as Shea has come back too. Um, to make him more of a scorer off of off of Giddy, and there's been like it's not like he's been terrible, but I mean they're still the worst offense in the NBA by a pretty wide margin. It's a lot more about who's around them than who's creating the advantages. But um, it, there's a lot to a lot that has to be ironed out in OKC still. Absolutely. Uh, going on to the next pick, Sacramento Kings with you on the clock. Yeah, I took Keegan Murray at eight for the Sacramento Kings. Um, I think. As, and I know you were probably going to have some stuff to add to this, but as the season has gone on, I think um, I don't want to just say people like that sounds like, you know, creating a straw man. But I think a lot of uh, a lot of discourse has gotten maybe a little bit too low on Keegan. Like he's just a very good basketball player. And I think um, part of what really factored into this for me is Sacramento by going out and trading for Demonis Sabonis. Um, I mean, that was a very clear we're here to win right now move. And I think you can fault that however you want. I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. I fell on it a little bit more in the middle than I think the general consensus was. But this pick kind of aligns with that move. Um, like they they are not in a position where I think they can draft somebody who is a couple of years away from being a positive NBA contributor. Like obviously, you know, most rookies are not going to be positive contributors. Keegan probably will teeter on the line of that, in my opinion, like kind of like Chris Duarte has this year. He's going to do positive things, be able to factor into the rotation player. Um, I, it's not ideal because, like, I really wanted fucking Tari for this. I wanted Tari <laughs> to Sacramento very badly um, because, like, Harrison Barnes has to play the three for them a lot because their lineups are – so they have no threes. They literally just don't have threes. It's twos, ones, and a bunch of four and a halves. So – um, it's like just a very funky roster. I'm interested to see what they do in the off season, but like, I think adding somebody like Keegan, you can at least be like, okay, well with what they've done more defensively, it's a lot of showing high, like playing Demonis uh, closer to the level of the screen, 
um, in, in like closer drops um, and focusing on backline rotations as, we, as we've seen more in the NBA. I trust Keegan to do that. Like I trust Keegan to be a backline defender. Like I think that's probably where he excels the most as a defender, in my opinion, like, you know, being able to just wrote, like, and I think his defense has been pretty inconsistent for me this year, but that's also like taking note of, of what he did last year where he was much better defensively. Um, and then focusing like with, with how his, I mean, his shot has absolutely popped as, as the year has gone on. Um, and I think looking at him as somebody who can just function in the flow of an offense and play off of De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Bonus, like that's been one of the biggest issues for the Kings this year is not having a consistent fifth guy in the offense who can hit shots. And I think you look at this and like, this is where I got in the draft. I'm like, okay, who is a guy who I think can be okay on defense, do his role, and then actually hit shots, attack closeouts, and not be a negative? And I was like, Keegan Murray. So I took Keegan Murray for the Kings. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to be completely honest. The, the quote-unquote people, straw man that you were referencing in the beginning of podcast, like, was relatively me um, until I decided to watch some more games before this podcast. And was just I like, wasn't oh, trying to call you out. Like <laughs> no, no, but it's true. Like, I, when I had watched Keegan Murray early in the year, I had felt that a lot of things were kind of given on a platter and I hadn't seen the self-creation stuff that I wanted to. The shooting was good, but it was mostly off the standstill. And the defense, as you said, had taken a, a little drop, a, a step back. And so I was like, okay, what are we really working with here? And he has just been decimating the Big Ten. And you turn on the film and there's more self-creation than you think, whether that's attacking a closeout and getting into a pull-up or coming shooting off movement a little bit. And there was a clip that popped to me in the Michigan State game where um, – Oh, it was a simple pin down, but like curled off the pin down, took like took a dribble and got to the rim. And like that's wing stuff, you know, or like at least fours that you can count on to attack closeouts reliably. Um, I kind of had this vision of him who just sat someone who sat in the dunker spot and got everything drop offs and dunks. And that's just not the case. Uh, so definitely I opened up my eyes a little bit to him. Uh, just a number worth noting that I, when we we're prepping for the pod, uh, again, not a numbers pod, but. This popped to me. Only 43% of his uh, makes at the rim are assisted, which uh, I keep quoting the 2020 Google sheet I did, and I promise I will update it with stuff from this class. But I think it's good to use as a benchmark. It falls within some wings, and the two people that would be in front of him are Patrick Williams and Desmond Bain. Uh, notorious, I'm not saying they're notoriously known for self-creation at all, but like those are wing numbers, and those are two guys who – were viewed for their handling chops and stuff. So I think it's kind of needs to be fair to treat Keegan the same. He's also shooting 39% on four and a half times per game. It's pretty legit. Um, and I kind of just think it's time to give him his flowers a little bit. I, I still might be lower than the mainstream. I think there's a chance he goes like sixth, by the way. Yeah. Well, um, and that's like to add into, like, I think you and I now, well, I've been more like in between the two in between because I just, like, yeah, I, yeah. I struggle a little bit to get there with him as a top five guy, which is where he's still getting mocked at a lot. Um, but to me, like, this is like the perfect spot for him. Like, I love it. And I think, again, some people will can be like, oh, this is like the, this is literally just the Davion Mitchell pick, but he's six, eight instead of like, <laughs> and like, I, again, I think you can have qualms about how Sacramento is going about things, but just in my opinion, like with what they're trying to do, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know. I completely agree, especially, but you have to understand that each front office, as we've noted a million times operating differently. And as you noted, at the beginning of this with that trade they made a certain signal which is we're, we're going for it and beautifully mentioned we can agree disagree but that's not how we make decisions um so 
ended up liking this pick more, much more than I thought I did when I first got that text from you. Um, ninth pick, me, Portland. Um, what to do with Portland? You kind of want to, I, I kind of want to start this like, so I end up drafting Jeremy Sohan uh, because, but I want like you to talk about Portland and where they're at right now. Uh, it, Cause just, I have no idea what to expect. And I, where mean, they're going. I, uh, I don't know what to think of Portland right now, just to be completely honest. Uh, like, I mean, it seems like, like what the fuck's going to happen with Dame? Like that's, yeah. that's the biggest no, thing. Like, I, I mean, it's, if Dame is going to be here, um, sure. Like, but, but again, like you're looking at it like two different ways. Like, I don't know. Um, like, I mean, they have Josh Hart. I like Josh Hart. <laughs> but I mean, they, I mean, they have Josh Hart is exactly the explanation I was looking for. Leading up to this <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this team is like, they essentially open themselves up to a lot of cap space, but is that so they can sign guys like Portland has not typically been a place that is signing a ton of awesome free agents. Um, maybe some guys change that up this off season. I don't know. Um, I mean, like, I really like Nas Little. He was making real progress this year. I thought that he started to establish himself as, like, not a guy who was, like, an amazing plus starter, but you can see the mold. Like, I think that was – there's an important distinction there. Um, I like some of their young guys, but, like, I mean, Yusuf Nurkic is reportedly coming back. He's going to be out for with injury for the rest of the season, if I remember correctly, right along there. Um, they just don't have a ton there that is ready for the next, like, year or two. Um like adding in Keon Johnson, cool, but again, yeah. like Keon is a ways away from being being there. So the same thing. I mean, Greg Brown, like Greg Brown's had really fun flashes. <laughs> Man has dunked everything. Uh, but again, it's it's a very funky team. So go go ahead with your pick, though. No, I mean that's why I drafted Sohan. I, I have no idea what the direction this team is going in. You have, again, we have no idea what the team what the roster is going to look like. Is Dame going to be there? Is Dame not going to be there? If Dame is there, where are they going? If Dame isn't there, where are they going? None of, there is no idea, and there's no way for us to know. So I kind of looked at this. I was like, who can fit in any rebuild and isn't going to disrupt anything, and you can never have enough of these type of players? And those are your incredibly smart defensive wings who, if they catch, make catch-and-shoot jumpers, are going to be a valuable player. And like that's what Jeremy Sohan is. The, the ball skills are really intriguing at his size. Doesn't necessarily have, like, pop or counters but just gets to his spots and uses his strength has good touch around the in like the in-between area and is an incredibly good defender and plus passer for his size so i kind of looked at this and i was like you can never have enough of these and this is if you're just stockpiling someone in this draft because you have no idea where you're going and you're looking for someone that can fit any direction jeremy Swan's your guy well i'll say too i just can't believe i even hit on him because he's been out a little bit too but like Anthony Simons has, has definitely Anthony, yep. made it looked made it look a little bit different. Like, okay, not to say like if they let Dame go, but like if they do a sign and trade with Dame or something like that, they have somebody who's been legit. Like, I mean, what Simons is doing as a pull-up shooter has been insane. Um, yeah. and he's really expanded his playmaking off of that, which has been awesome to see. Like he is, I mean, he would probably be the most improved player for me this year, uh, in terms of just actual improvement from where he was at last year. Like he going from Barely being able to get to the paint with his handle to now like doing this has been astronomical. Um, and that's a guy who, again, like I don't think that he's the 1A on a championship team or anything like that, but that's a guy you can start your rebuild around. And like if you trade Dame, what does that look like? Does that what does that bring you back? But more importantly, too, like in talking about Sohan, I still think they're going by all indications, it seems like they're going to be keeping Dame around. 
adding somebody like Sohan is incredibly important because that's a guy that um, like that's the type of the, the type of mold of player that they've just never really had in Portland. Like you can say what you want about like Alfred Camino and Mel Harkless, but like he has the element they didn't in terms of being a, a quality decision maker because that was always an issue for them. You either A, didn't have to worry about them shooting or B, after they if you close out on them, what happens is if they take the ball inside? Like, um, I think adding Sohan, he's just the guy. He, like, saying he's just a shot away is so reductive. But, like, he's shot it better, too, recently, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But he definitely has some issues with hot, with shot hesitancy still to a degree, which is a little bit frustrating. But I agree with you entirely. Like, adding somebody who um, is one of the best perimeter defenders and just team defenders overall in the class, like, that would be tremendous for a team that is absolutely shit at defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I know the if he shoots thing cuts deep. I can imagine it cuts even deeper for Portland Trailblazers fans when talking about a yeah. potential spacing four. But again, as you said, there are other ways for him to impact the game as that comes along. And even if he doesn't, you're, we're still working with that defensive side of the ball, which has always been an issue for them. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So going to the last pick. Uh, as a Knicks fan, I like this one. I love this one, actually. Um, and I'm hoping this actually happens in real life. So we should manifest this. New York Knicks, 10 on the clock was your final pick uh, for this episode. Yeah, I took Ty Ty Washington out of the University of Kentucky. Um, this one was easy to me. Like, the I feel a little bit better about the Knicks than I think. Uh, I mean, I, it seems like I'm more positive on, on, on anything than just about anybody. But, like, I like the Knicks young guys. I really like some of the direction that they've shown like RJ is uh, more just leaning into what he's, what has made him good. Um, like being a strength-based player, he's been absolutely incredible getting to the line in 2022 as he's, he's had the ball in his hands more. The shot uh, continues to be good and he's taking more pull-ups. I think it's going to be a, if he actually makes them type thing. Um, but that's <laughs> the point of him getting these reps and development opportunities. Like, so since, Christmas, 23 points, uh, six boards, four assists, 35% from three, seven attempts at the line per game. Like, he's been very good. Um, again, like, the efficiency is going to be a struggle. Him figuring out more things going to be important. But, like, the context is not great there offensively. They need real guard play. Like, basically, Emmanuel quickly is their only real guard. Like, I guess you can call Quentin Grimes a guard. Deuce, obviously, is a guard, but he isn't playing much at the NBA level. I would like to see him play more. He has played a little bit more recently, but still, like, just start him or something. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But, like, Alec Burks has been running point a lot for the Knicks, mostly because of Tom Thibodeau wanting that. But um, they just need guys who can shoot and make decisions. And Ty Ty is not an awesome decision maker, but he's somebody who can run pick and roll, who can – at least be out there as a combo guard who is a, a quality scorer, good shooter, like a very, very good shooter, by the way, like very yeah. good shooter. Yeah. Um, so I'm in on that. Yeah. I, I think you hit on all the, the points that the Knicks need. He doesn't necessarily fill the quote unquote point guard gap, but as someone who's going to make quality decisions, good handler has shooting upside, went to Kentucky. Uh, he's kind of checking on the, the, the boxes that the Knicks need. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have anything else to add on that well one thing i would say too this is just like more of a random side but i do always like get frustrated by like it, and it just feels like in draft discourse in general like oh well they can't take this guy because they need that and like nothing's ever going to be absolutely perfect like i think it's a lot of trying to get 95 percent of exactly what you need and hoping that you can fill in the rest of that void in time and um to me like i just think it's pretty clear like you need 
somebody who can run offense for you. Um, or uh, like uh, you just, this team so clearly watch this team play for one game. They need guard play. They need someone who can shoot. Like it, it's yeah. And Ty Ty fills that void. And I think too, in terms of just talking about the defense, like I think he's a guy who's going to factor in fine defensively. He's not going to be like awesome. He's sound. Player. Yeah. But no, I mean, he's, he's, sound. he's, he's sound as a guard defender. He's a lot. Absolutely. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to just compare him to quickly because he's they're They're different players for sure. I think quickly definitely has more, uh, more burst and shift, but like um, Ty Ty, Definitely has a little bit more size. I think he's a little bit better at the point of attack. And he's he's an active defender too. So I I, I like him defensively. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this was super fun. This is something we're gonna continue. Um, I don't know when we're kind of just gonna sprinkle it in. I assume we're gonna be talking March Madness stuff on the next episode. 100%. But uh once thing this is I think this is gonna be something good to have in our back pocket. Um eventually we're gonna get through the rest of the take it on Sam 11 through 20 and then the end of the first round. Um, so we can kind of hit on all levels of the draft, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. This was awesome. Yeah, no, this was great, man. I'm, I'm excited for, to unveil our, our, our next group of picks to everybody <laughs> coming soon, but, um, let us know what you guys thought. We, we always encourage feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Um, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple podcast and on Spotify. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you think. Have a good rest of your day. Enjoy March madness. Enjoy the tournaments. Jake, I'll talk to you later, man.